I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series supported by the Andersons. In today's program, we hear from a father and son strip-till team on how they've refined their South Dakota strip-till system to improve yields and cut fertilizer costs. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to the Andersons for their support of this podcast series. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. The Andersons' high-yield programs make it easy to plan a season-long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com slash high-yield. Well, in the pursuit of higher soil organic matter levels in their soils, Barry and Eli Little, a father and son team farming in Castlewood, South Dakota, are aggressively adopting regenerative practices. Their aim is to create highly functioning soil biology with the ability to support high yields on minimal inputs across their 1,800-acre corn and soybean operation. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, supported by the Andersons, we share excerpts from editor Julia Gerlach's recent conversation with Barry and Eli, discussing some of the detailed data crunching that helps them improve soil health, reduce inputs, and gain control of livestock feeding operations. We strip-till for the corn, everything else is no-till. We're trying to move to 100% no-till. Uh-huh. We, we, plant, we plant a cover crop after weed harvest, and we just started two years ago planting a cover crop into our corn. Three or four inch tall corn, we, we do uh, interseed. Okay. What are you doing that with? Well, for the last two years, we've had our local elevator uh, mix cover crop seed with urea for our top dress. And and then we modified a rotary hoe to to kind of work it in between the rows. Oh, okay, interesting. It's an uh, idea picked up out of southern Minnesota. I guess it's pretty common down there with the no-tillers. So as far as our rotation, it really depends on the land. Is we you know if we have if we have a heavier soil, we'll do. Uh, year of corn and then another year of corn after that and then beans and then uh, a small grain and then and repeat like that otherwise it's mostly just uh corn beans wheat and so how long have you been doing strip till and no-till we got introduced to no-till in the early 90s and uh, we weren't really 100 percent no-till ever until the last five years. We've been doing strip-till for corn for at least 10 years now. We own our own strip-till machine now. We used to have to hire it done, oh, which okay. was tough to get it all done in time. We do all our strip-till in the spring. We used to okay. do it in the fall. It okay. works out a lot better to do it in the spring. In what way? Uh, in the fall, if it's been uh, wet, or sometimes we would wait until the ground was almost frozen. So we were pulling up chunks of dirt, and then the rolling baskets didn't do a real good job of leveling them out. But when you 
strip till in the spring, you get this really nice mellow mound dirt. Oh, okay. Gotcha. We we also notice um, even with strip tilling in the fall, we would see uh, dirt in the ditches, and that's not something we like to see. <laughs> right. Uh, so that there was some erosion happening even with strip tilling in the fall, so we didn't want to see that. Okay. Um, and so what kind of strip till machine do you have? It, it's a Case IH 16 roll. It, it, it works quite well. Uh, we can do strip till between corn rows, do corn on corn, which is very convenient. When we're strip tilling fertilizer, we have uh, we have two tanks, and so we put, well, we're thinking this year we're just going to put urea in the front tank and then um, phosphorus, potash, and sulfur in the back tank. Okay. And then we do, we vary the rate of everything across the field. Okay. And so that's all based on soil testing? Um, previous yeah. harvest maps. Okay. Kinda, we, we have data from the last 10 years now. Um, uh -huh. from harvest map. So that's mostly what we base it on. Okay. Um, seeing, seeing the, the, uh, the first yield maps we had were from 2012 when we had a terrible drought. So it's good to go back to look at those mm. to be conservative and then look at the good years and, and just kind of, um, find a middle ground. <laughs> we do the variable rate, um, the opposite of what a corn belt guy would do. Um, we put lower rates on going over the hilltops because our soil is so, so thin. And then um, the higher rates in the valleys are where the good soil is. But our, our attempt there is to maximize the yield where normally we wouldn't get any corn, um, you know, going over the hilltops in most years. If we planted it at 35,000 and put a whole bunch of fertilizer on, we might not get an ear on that land. Oh. But um, by by going uh, lower population and lower fertilizer, you know, probably doesn't sound like much, but we can still get 100 bushel an acre there. Oh. And then we get enough um, on our heavier soil in those fields to bring the average up to about 180. So uh, what... What made you decide to do strip till with the corn? Well, we we experimented with 100% no-till in the early 90s, <laughs> and our soil was too cold, and we had too much residue on on top of where we planted, and the corn emerged um, poorly. Poorly, yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh. and it had an ugly, sickly yellow color for quite a while before it got going, and the the strip till allowed us to have our corn look more like the neighbors. Mm. <laughs> okay, gotcha. We're we're at a disadvantage um, in in our area. It we we don't get the the growing degree units that that even people in North Dakota can get. And oh. We're in in East Central South Dakota. Uh huh. Um, it has to do with this. Uh, plateau that we are east of Cato. Cato plateau that uh, kind of messes with our our um, climate here. Oh, um, okay. I, we are one of the few who do a lot of 
uh, mostly no-till because guys just don't uh, they're kind of afraid that they you know their corn's not going to finish and they got to get out there and get it black and get it warmed up but you feel like you're getting the same kind of yields as your neighbors who are doing conventional tillage I, i think we're probably beating them oh okay yeah well so that's the the whole the whole concept of 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 what we do with with soil health and with trying to do regenerative ag we don't uh necessarily need to push the limits of our our yields and and see great returns mm-hmm. so uh, you know it is fun to still see a whole field average 240 uh uh-huh. and we can get by on on 180 and we don't need to brag about our yields <laughs> for us this past six months has been perfect for uh getting the most out of our um farm for for our livestock we started grazing um interseeded cover crop in corn about the first week of october and we moved the cows every 20 to 30 days and we have grazed now about 1200 acres and we're about to run out of new places to go but it's almost grass to green up right okay so do you also have um pasture acreage oh yeah 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 okay about 600 yeah 600 acres oh yeah um we get to count crp now they've opened that up for grazing now so so we we graze from about the first of May to the end of September, and then we go to cover crops for as long as we can. Okay. Um, and normally we'll get um, I shouldn't say normal because there's no normal years anymore, but we seem to always make it till Christmas um, grazing, mm-hmm. and then um, January and February tend to have a lot more snow. Uh, and so we have to be a little innovative about how to continue to to feed them. Mm-hmm. We 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 bale up cornstalk bales and leave them sit in the field and mow them out on top of the snow when we need to. And oh. we have windrowed um, cover crop when it gets to be um, three feet tall. We windrow it and leave those windrows lay, and then turn the cows in to graze that when the snow gets deep. Okay. So they can just kind of dig in under the snow and and get to it then. Well, sometimes you got to expose the end of the row for them so they can find it. I see. Okay, gotcha. And so, how many animals are you talking? Uh, see, we run about we're going to run about two hundred pairs this summer, and um, when it comes to fall and winter grazing, if we have enough, uh, we'll go out and look for custom work, bring in small herds and get ourselves up to 300 or 400 head just because we find a lot of value in having them on the land. And usually we can, we can charge a lower rate and everybody can, can make a little money. And so that 600 or so acres of pastures that in addition to the 1800 that you were talking about before, I... Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, and then is that like uh, perennial grasses? Yeah, <laughs> our uh, 
we we don't have very much native prairie grass. Uh, most of it was killed at one point. Yeah, it was all farmed in the in the 30s and 40s. Some of it's underwater now, and but it's in, I guess you'd call it improved faster because we've seeded it to something. Okay. Do you have to continually seed it, or does it it keeps reseeding itself? No. It, so most of what we have as pasture was transitioned to CRP about 30 years ago. Oh, and okay. then when it was CRP, we had uh, um, incentive to just to transition it to rotational grazing. Ah. So we didn't, we have not planted anything since it was CRP, but we are seeing a lot, of, a lot more species because of our grazing practices. Oh, okay. How do how do your grazing practices affect the number of species that are out there? So the the whole holistic grazing, rotational grazing, where you you get into an area and and you have them take half and trample the other half and then let it rest for a long period of time, it wake it wakens up the seed bed and um, you know, when you get more time like that, you you just you really improve the land, and we've been seeing a, a vast improvement in our pasture land in the last five to ten years. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, the Andersons, for making this podcast possible. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. The Anderson's high-yield programs make it easy to plan a season-long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com slash high-yield. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Barry and Eli Little sharing some of the nutrient management strategies which have helped them cut fertilizer costs. in the spring and you're putting down fertilizer then correct yes and so what you said urea and what else are you using uh we use um map and potash and ammonium sulfate okay and you do that all in the spring with the strip till bar in the spring and then do you put anything down with the planter no well we can uh, we decided a couple of years ago that starter fertilizer in our system is a waste of money. Okay. How come? Um, we have enough fertility available in our soil that it, it uh, we've, we've tested it, done some experiments, and we can't see a yield difference for oh, gotcha. spending $14 an acre. Uh-huh. Yeah, the article referred to that, right? You were talking about how you've done some, you've cut back on fertilizer by a certain percentage, half or something like that. Yeah, we've uh, we've cut down a lot on fertilizer and allowed our uh, healthy soils to provide for our, our plants. So we we used to um, we used to draw up a plan every year to put enough fertilizer on for on our best soil for 200 bushel an acre. Mm-hmm. knowing that in a good year that was going to go 240 or 50 anyway. And now we've cut that rate down to uh, half to two-thirds of that. And last year we didn't see any difference 
in um, in our yield where we did tests on that. In fact, we we got an identical yield uh, with what was it? You didn't put anything on. Oh yeah, we did some strip till testing with fertilizer across about 40 acres on one field, and um, where we didn't apply any in furrow nitrogen, we we did not. There was maybe like a five bushel difference. Mm. So our, you know, we had top dressed it with urea later on with the cover crop. So that was about 250 pounds of urea. Okay. Which and so we were able to achieve 215 bushel an acre on on just 115 pounds of nitrogen. So one one of the one of the research things we're working on is um, we we took about 800 acres and had it uh, grid sampled in three acre grids. Uh, we did that in the fall of 19 and. We're going to have that done again in in the fall of 24 okay. to see uh, what direction our soil tests are going. Okay. Because we we think we're what what we hope we're doing is we're building soil uh, test levels while we cut back on fertilizer use. And the um, the grids we did in 2019 are average organic matter was over five. Oh wow really wow so um just based on on what a uh, soil health guy from north dakota told me your soil test levels over four and a half you probably are with money putting fertilizer on but we're not ready to um quit cold turkey mm-hmm. sure right okay yeah with within our tests um I, I I did one 32 row route, you know, around with the strip tiller, and I didn't put any any uh, PKRS on, and we saw a, a decrease by about 40 bushel an acre. Okay. So, um, and I, I I looked closer at it, and it was on the side hills where where we have a little lower organic matter percentage. Okay. So. Um, you know, that tells us we're not ready to, to completely cut off, um, PK and S, um, our corn, but I, I think we can, we can continue to cut down on it. Where you're, um, cutting back or you, you've cut back on herbicide rates. Are you doing that? So you're saying you're doing that sort of field by field, not necessarily across the board. Well, we, we, we have kind of the same. Um, rates for all the fields. Oh, okay. um, uh, la- last year, it was you know we're working with with um, my uncle, uh, and you know we're we're telling him we we strip till for him too, and um, sometimes the cows are in his land, and we just said you know we got this rate for you know if you think it's really healthy soil, and we got this other rate. And you know he 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 had a higher rate for land that hadn't had uh, cattle on it or didn't. It's only like a bean corn rotation. Mm-hmm. And so when we have land that that we trust, we're doing the right thing for. Um, that's when we go with that 
that lower amount. So were you asking about herbicide or fertilizer? Uh, that was a, a question about fertilizer. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you're saying you intercede the corn with cover crops and it, that's a mix, a cover crop mix. Yeah. It's, so we put, it was nine pounds of annual ryegrass, a pound of turnips, a pound of radishes, and a pound of um, red clover. Crimson clover. Crimson clover. Okay. And, and you're saying you're you're mixing that in with the urea, and you're doing that. You're it's a like a spreader type situation. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then that's the extent of your nutrient. What you're adding nutrient wise. After the strip till, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And are you doing cover crops in the uh, soybean acres as well? No, um, we we planted a lot of winter wheat this year after soybean. Oh, okay. Um, that's something we we are um, you know with the whole living root um, practice or um, one of the keys to soil health being a living root. Um, we wanted to get out and and get something growing in those um, bean stubble fields. Yeah. Instead of instead of causing a dust storm like our neighbors did this year. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Uh, and, you know, with, with, with crop insurance and everything, um, we figured if, if we didn't get a winter wheat crop, we would um, just plant corn into it. But mm-hmm. then winter wheat went up in price, and we we're hoping it will all grow and, and we can take a crop off this year. Oh, okay. we're in an area that we we don't traditionally um, grow winter wheat around here because it often winter kills. Okay. But we're hoping our our soil health practices with having something standing there to catch the, what little bit of snow falls early on will will help us get through the winter. Because if we can grow winter wheat uh, consistently, it, it's really going to help our program. Well, thank you to Barry and Eli for sharing some of the lessons learned and management tips on their strip-till corn operation. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, the Andersons, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-blast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptill, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Barry and Eli Little, the Andersons, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jackson Licka. Thanks for listening.